upset? Am I upset? Yeah. You know what happened. What happened? Last night. I was there. I was watching it. You were live in person. No, I wasn't at T-Mobile Arena in Las Vegas. No, I Oh, <laughs> what did I think it was? You know what? Someone brought up a good point. Why does Excel Energy have such shitty parking? As in availability? Yeah. Or do you not feel the same? I thought your heater was on, but it's the bubbles from my yeah. freshly opened water. <laughs> um. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not great, but no stadium is. Uh, have you been to... The Dallas Cowboys, I don't remember what it's called. Jerry Jerry's World. World. They got a lot of parking there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, I have not been to Jerry's World. You got a little deposit box for your but guns. It's nice. Set in St. Paul in Minneapolis, mm. there's no room for anything. True. So you have the Science Museum parking lot, and then what I usually do is just get street parking. Just get a meter. You can get street parking when there's a wild game. Yeah. Holy get a meter. shit. Okay. Not always close. You might be seven blocks away or something but i mean i used to park fucking my i mean for vikings games too Mm. i park at uh do you know that stupid hotel in downtown that looks like uh, like an old cottage with Mm. like um fake messed up walls and stuff like that it looks like a rustic medieval cottage i I do not well that's about 10 blocks away from u.s bank and I'll, i'll walk that all the time well now you're the smart one you park here, get on that fucking train, take that bitch up there. Nah, that ain't worth it. Dude, I swear to God, you will it'll spend less time. In Woodbury? Where, where do you take the train from? So you park at um, Fort Snelling. Okay, yeah. And you take that train probably 45 minutes. You're good to go. It's, yeah, that uh, makes sense. I think it's like, what, $5 a ticket or no, some yeah, shit? No, yeah, it's nothing. But <laughs> then you have to worry about drunk people. Mm. And drunk people, I'm already going to see enough of them. At the football. True, true. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, yeah, my training experience has been pretty pleasant. Everybody pretty calm, although it is fun to listen to the amateur analyst. Oh, the, the armchair coach- yeah. coaches? The yeah. train chair coaches? Yeah, that, that is kind of fun. Even when there was like someone wearing an opposite team's jersey that they're playing, everyone was like real kosher and cool with them. Yeah, I, I haven't seen, and I'm, that's not to say it doesn't happen, but mm. I don't see too much other team hazing. It's not like walking into Soldier Field with a Vikings or Packers jersey on. Or I, something I like love that. the narrative going around that it's like, well, you go to Lambeau Field, everybody's going to be, be giving you high vibes. You literally hear stories from the players when their boss is coming in, like fans are throwing shit or mooning yeah. him. I don't like, believe that for a second. You know what document that reminds me? documentary i watched last night very good uh about the scabs scab players from 1986 oh the replacements yeah holy shit the that documentary was good. with keanu reeves or or whoever it was <laughs> i forget who was in replacements no not that one i'm talking about the real a one. real documentary mm-hmm. yeah. yeah the one guy they literally got him out of prison he played one like one quarter and then he got released and got put placed back in prison i'm not That's even great. shitting you that's great. 30 for 30 on ESPN. It's quite good, He actually. got a temporary work release to play some football. Yeah. That's fucking And good. I watched one about the U uh, today. I think they left out a lot of the uh, cocaine thing. Michael Irvin and the cocaine thing. They right. left a lot of that yeah. there. They, uh, you, you're saying they might have sugared up that piece a little bit? Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, help them out. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, apparently there's a part two. I wonder if they finally 
get down to because I know Michael Irvin. I don't remember if it was cocaine or crack. He really liked one of them. Before well, he... they're both, you know, pretty addictive. Ing, mm. addicting. Sli- <laughs> just slightly, mm-hmm. slightly less than heroin. I think. Yeah. There. Just a little, just a touch <laughs> off. Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Bumblebutt Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about this week? It's me because it's part two of uh, Ruth Snyder and Hell H. Yeah. John Gray. I'll just say that right off the bat. Uh, my name is Adam. Sitting across me, I've ever, ever is Cody. Hello. Hello, Adam. How was your week? <sighs> Busy week in the butt market. Uh, a lot of butts get, got checked this week. A lot of last second mm. Memorial Day mm. butt checkups. See, we were predicting that people were going to be like, no, I'm not getting my butt checked because of the three-day weekend, but apparently people weren't really wanted to get it done Yeah, well, now they can to go it. with reckless abandon. Mm. Now they don't have to worry about nothing. <laughs> no. Their butts are taken care of, and they're ready to whatever you do on Memorial Day weekend. Eat pig buttholes. Hot dogs. Is that what you're planning on doing? No. I'm going to go over to Vanso's. Okay. Yeah. You're not going shop furniture shopping. Big uh, no. Big time in the Memorial Day weekend for, yeah, for always. furniture. Interest-free. Six years. <laughs> Labor Day. Memorial's Day. Every one of the days. And the cars. Uh, you know what? Before we get in here, one final note. Man, I so I was watching Tubi. Right. Uh, right. Uh, I would recommend it to anybody. Free streaming TV. Right. You just have to watch a few commercials. Number uh, The two commercials that play on the console is the one where the bent penis syndrome. Um, do you know where I'm saying where the penis like bends a weird way? What do they call that? I have no you idea. You used to say the name of it all the time. Of but, a bent penis? Yeah. Like if your penis starts to bend one way, they can like fix it now. I don't, Whatever it's called. Okay. And then the number two. Fucking Walzer commercials oh, everywhere. No. Everywhere. No. Yeah. I think they have like a 40-year warranty on their cars now or something. Really? Yeah. It's I like bet. ridiculous. I bet they do. Holy shit. Obviously, wow, you're not actually going to get your car warrantied for that long. No. But uh, they they claim you do. Think about Well, think about what that bent penis syndrome is called because I have no recollection. Uh, it's like porosis or... Porosis or something like that. Oh, priapism. Yes, priapism. Yes, that's yeah. where that's where blood gets caught in your penis and they have to drain it. No, it's not that one. It's okay. just like for people who get, let's say you get in a boner and eventually it starts like take to take like not a light turn. Yeah, not a ninety degree angle, but the penis like bends in a funny way. I don't know. Yeah. All right, perfect. So bent <laughs> penis syndrome, fixed. get it fixed. It is fixed, it's and then fixable. buy a forty year warranty from Walzer. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, when last we met, both Ruth Snyder and H. Judd Gray were being held for questioning in connection with the murder of Albert Snyder, Mm. Ruth's husband, Mm -hmm. who was found dead in an absurdly staged crime scene. Yeah, he didn't just fall down the stairs. No. (laughs) This isn't the staircase. Uh. (laughs) At the Jamaica Precinct House, Mrs. Snyder described her awful home life with Albert, how scared she was for Lorraine her affair with Gray, and the fact that he was the only one who would listen and care about her troubles. Yeah. Real, you know so, real sop story. Yeah, yeah. And, and Gray was just the good guy that's mm, coming. He the was lingerie the, salesman. Exactly. You can always trust him. Always. Here is Ruth's side of the story. She said things reached a boiling point in February of 1927 when her husband said he was going to blow her brains out. She wrote this in a letter to Gray, who asked whether or not she thought he was serious. She said, in one of his violent fits, anything was possible. 
Gray wrote back that he would help Ruth get him before he could get her. Mm, okay, so is this over oatmeal or... Get him? No, 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 blow, blow her brain. Oh, up. no, unlike uh, with uh, little Lorraine, uh, Albert <laughs> didn't care whether or not okay. Ruth ate her oatmeal. <laughs> okay. yeah. This was just because... I think she was needling him. He was a reclusive drunk. It was a terrible relationship. Just the worst there ever could be. Mm. I'd love to see the percentages of men from around this time who weren't abusive Ter- drunks. Oh, yeah. It just sounds like they all were. You would. It's got to be in the 95%. <laughs> yeah. They met for lunch on March 5th. Gray brought with him a window sash weight, which is an iron bar about a foot and a half long with a diameter a bit smaller than a rolling pin and weighing about five pounds. Mm. According to Mrs. Snyder, her and Gray met up late at night on Monday, March 7th, after Al had passed out from his nightly bender. Their intention was to bash Albert across the skull and finish the job with chloroform. This never happened as Ruth and Gray were both too sensitive and started bawling their eyes out after grabbing the weight and the chloroform. (laughs) While he's passed out there sitting there bawling? Yep. Wow. They like had to go back downstairs because they were both crying. Okay, all right. <laughs> they were supposed not to... off to a good start here <laughs> with an assassination attempt. Oh, they're pretty fucking stupid. Can you imagine if uh, Lee Harvey Oswald just started crying while he was that gun at the resident? And this isn't even like the fifth time she's tried to kill him. We'll get into it. Oh, okay. The very next Saturday, March 12th, there was another screaming match with the Snyders. It ended with Albert issuing an ultimatum. Either she gets the fuck out of the house or he'd kill her. Once again, Gray and Ruth wrote heated letters back and forth with Gray asking if she thought he was serious. When Ruth said absolutely, Gray said it was time to finally deliver the goods. Okay, why not just leave? Oh, because of the kid. Because of the yes, kid, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. and the, you know, God. People are so fucking stupid. (laughs) Uh, So they were going to deliver the goods on the night of Saturday, March 19th. When Albert Ruth and little Lorraine left for that Fidgen block party, Mm. Gray snuck in through the unlocked kitchen door and waited in Granny Brown's room. After the party, Albert dropped off Ruth and Lorraine and went to find a spot to park the car. Mrs. Snyder took her daughter upstairs and put her to bed. On her way past Granny Brown's room to the master bedroom, she whispered, I'll see you soon. She undressed, got in bed, and about ten minutes later, her husband did the same. After another half an hour, when her husband was sawing some serious drunken logs, she went out in the hallway to meet Gray. What is sawing drunken logs? Well, you know, when you sleep, you are sawing logs. Do you dream about being a lumberjack in your dreams? Do you really not know this? I do not know. I know counting. Sh- oh. What does that okay. sound like? Sawing logs, my friend. Okay. Sounds like sleep apnea, but mm-hmm. you guys call it sawing logs. Okay. Sawing logs. I can't <laughs> believe you've never heard that before. No. When somebody's saying, what's he doing? Oh, he's sawing logs. He's sleeping. No, I'm not from the uh, south in 1824. You're not from Iowa in no. <laughs> 2000. As instructed, Ruth had left the sash weight in Granny Brown's bedroom, along with a quart of whiskey, which Gray had gotten to the bottom of while waiting. Okay, just getting shit-faced, all right. Following the plan, Gray had brought with him one and a half ounces of chloroform and wrapped it in a bandana. Judd had some reservations at this point, trying to back out like he'd done in the path. Ruth hit him with, If you don't do this, I'll have to kill myself instead because living like this is unbearable. Aww. So both of them. Now keep in mind, this is all Ruth 
saying this mm. to the police as she's in the Jamaica precinct headquarters. Gotcha. Okay. This is her side of the story. Okay. So it might be a little twisted. Slightly. But also, she's still like giving away way too much information mm. with no lawyer whatsoever. <laughs> the two kissed and then Gray entered the bedroom. Ruth, from outside the room, saw Gray raise the weight and strike Albert twice in the head. Albert groaned as his hands were being tied behind his back, then could no longer groan as a towel was shoved down his throat and his head was wrapped in the chloroform-covered bandana and then shoved face first into the pillow. As Gray was tying Albert's feet with a necktie, he turned around to Mrs. Snyder and said, I guess it is it. Ruth noticed bloodstains on Gray's shirt, so she went and fetched a blue silk shirt from Al's closet. The murderers then burned the bloody shirt in the cellar furnace and put the sash weight in a toolbox and sprinkled it with ashes to make it appear that it had been there a while. Ah, okay, they antiqued it a little bit uh, there. Give a little patina. <laughs> you know, they could have just donated to Goodwill. They don't even look at anything. Or just take it away. Like, <laughs> how about you don't leave the murder weapon in the fucking yeah, house? Yeah, I guess they don't really think about that. He's never seen the staircase. That's the problem. That fucking yeah. blowpoke will get you every fucking I want to know who installed those stairs because clearly they're very... Treacherous. Very, yeah, yeah, very. You're going to hit your your head several times on the way down. Whew. You're going to have, a, they're going to be consistent with a long metal tube as well. They went back to the living room to rest up for a bit. Gray got nervous that Al wasn't actually dead and went back up to strangle him with the picture wire. The new unhindered power couple of Ruth and Gray set about the task of staging the crime scene, including tasks such as emptying Al's wallet and planting Al's pistol next to him on the floor. They sat in contemplative silence for about two hours before Gray tied up Ruth on Grandma Brown's bed to complete the scene. Mm, okay, the master plan's been, been laid out there. That's, I mean, this is, if that's what you want to call a master plan, that's now, exactly what they've done. Was her, was the cold floor thing her um, kind of, uh, what do they call See, it? See, she got bored of waiting for Lorraine mm. to wake up, so she left Granny Brown's bedroom to, to wriggle her way out into the hallway so Lorraine would hear her calling for her. Gotcha, okay, smart on you, Ruth, maybe. Yeah, I mean, if you don't want to be seen as tied up in a nice, comfortable bed. Nobody's going to believe that shit. It's got to be weird sitting in a house for two hours while there's just a corpse upstairs. Yep, yep. It's going to be a little awkward. Oh, that's gross thinking. <laughs> when Ruth finished her preliminary statement, the DA and all detectives in the room were sitting with their mouths agape. Having answered questions on and off for the last 24 hours, Ruth was absolutely exhausted and famished. After she initialed and signed her type statement, Ruth fell asleep in the DA's office for six blessed, uninterrupted hours. Wow, okay. But now, Cody, don't you think we should hear Gray's side of the story? Right. Uh, he is only a couple doors down in the uh, in the assistant DA's office. I wonder if he has a slightly different retelling of it. You know what? I think he does. <laughs> Throughout his statement, Gray seemed more concerned with his captor's opinion of him than the boiling hot water he was in. He started with how him and Ruth met back at that cafe with Ruth's hairdresser, Kitty Kaufman, playing matchmaker. Ruth revealed after a couple highballs that she was having problems with her husband and planned on increasing his life insurance. Mm. Gray said he made several attempts to dissuade her from killing her hubby. After all, it was the 20s and there were avenues you could go down to get a legal divorce, although it was not easy. She'd made at least three attempts on her husband's life over the past two years, including sleeping tablets, 
mercury tablets, and kicking open a gas pipe and leaving for the store while her husband napped on the couch. <laughs> all I can envision is her drunk husband sleeping there, and she's doing all this stupid shit trying yep. to kill him, and it's just like a fucking cartoon. That's exactly what it was. And the gas pipe that she kicked open, she said, oh, I must have knocked it with my foot on my way past the kitchen. Mm. That's, you have to like get down and like deadlift the pipe off of the fitting <laughs> that's not possible <laughs> so she was a real piece of shit i wonder if gas stunk like it does like obviously they add that they added it smell yeah the rotten now. egg smell yeah i wonder if it smelled back i then. don't think probably so not, probably so. not i bet okay. i bet carbon monoxide poisoning was super mm, common mm. especially because they didn't really know how to use gas that good yet <laughs> All right, yeah, this is a little uh, little uh, uh, statement from Mr. Gray here. Then she started hounding me about this sash weight plan. I started to see her less and less because, honestly, I was afraid. Yeah, yeah I'm sure you were, sir. <laughs> Gray went on saying she coerced him into the plan by threatening to tell his wife about their affair. <laughs> Every day up to the murder... Gray complained he was in a literal hell and was forced through constant threats and beratements from Ruth to provide the sash weight and a bottle of chloroform. Here's the interesting dynamic he's in. Okay, so he's saying, hey, Ruth, you can just get a divorce. Don't tell my wife I'm cheating on you. I'd rather kill your husband than Cody. have my wife find out we're having an affair. Cody. Yes. It's awful. It's yeah. awful, and he gets completely... <laughs> forgiven by the public oh once this goes to okay. the court of public opinion i guess they didn't have their thinking caps on there like it's none just of that so misogynist mm. it's so one of the lawyers at some point goes full-on jesse lee peterman he goes <laughs> god man woman child i'm oh, not even god. kidding you oh no. he talks about woman's natural place in god's plan i'm oh, not even kidding no. you we'll get there i can't wait to hear it on thursday march 17th Ruth told Gray that it was going down late Saturday night slash early Sunday mm. morning and to be prepared. She left him a bottle of whiskey, the sash weight, and a pair of pliers under the pillow in Grandma Brown's room. Mm. Remember from episode one how Gray's room at the Angada Hotel in Syracuse was lived in on the night of the murder? Mm. And that included phone calls made and letters posted? Right, I remember this. Well... Gray called one of his friends and asked him how he'd like to spend the night in a fancy hotel. All he'd have to do is call down to the front desk and call up for a bellboy to collect letters, leaving them outside the door. Ooh, ironclad plan there. Brilliant. (laughs) Gray arrived at Grand Central Station in New York City shortly after 10 p.m. and reached the Snyder residence at midnight. He entered through the kitchen, as had been discussed, and waited in Granny Brown's room. As he sat there, he thought there was no way he could go through with it, but after the bottle of whiskey, he had all the Dutch courage he needed. Mm, Dutch courage, huh? Are they known for being drinkers? Well, that's what they call it when you're when you're drunk and feeling your oats. Gotcha. When you're, when okay. you're feeling real. I thought confident. they just call that liquid confidence. Yeah, they call it that too. Mm. What do the Irish call it? Uh, wife beaten time. Wife, <laughs> <laughs> wife and beaten slash wife impregnating. <laughs> yeah. There's only two options. Yeah, yeah. Black eyes or full tummies. <laughs> That's what all you're getting. Jesus. The Snyder trio returned home at 2 a.m. and Ruth took Lorraine straight up to bed before passing Granny Brown's room and asking if he was there on her way to her bedroom. When Albert came clomping up the stairs, he could barely keep himself upright and passed out in bed instantly. Ruth snuck out of her room and asked Gray, You're going to do it, aren't you? 
Mrs. Snyder went first into the bedroom, and Gray followed. Taking aim with the sash weight, Gray swung with everything he could muster at the top of Albert's head. This only stunned him, and Albert lunged up, grabbing at his attacker's necktie, which caused Gray to drop the weapon. Ruth picked it up and took a few swings. Thinking quick, she dropped the weight, grabbed the chloroform, got behind Albert, and covered his face with the towel. Mrs. Snyder then bound Albert's hands and feet and strangled him with the picture wire. Damn, she's vicious, man. I don't know why. All I can think about is Michael Myers. Like, when you see him in movies, he's sleeping or dead, and people try to stab him, and he just reaches his hands up and grabs him. Or The Undertaker. Him, too. Which, I mean, he stole that from Michael Myers, for sure. (laughs) But yeah, so you can see the differences so far. Yeah, in, quite a bit. In this well, story. The, the person who killed him is definitely, definitely different there. See, if they would have just attacked him with the sashway, right? Put him on the bottom of the stairs, um, and uh, he could have gotten off. Yeah, it would have been easy. You that, said he fell. Man, that guy's such a creep. And his daughters <laughs> are like creeps, too. I didn't his, like his laugh. I'll never forget his laugh. <laughs> like, oh, God. That's not an innocent man's laugh, sir. <laughs> Next, they went to the bathroom, noticed they were both splattered with blood, and they went down to the furnace to burn their clothes. They hid the sash weight in the toolbox, put some more coal in the furnace, and went upstairs to toss shit around and make it look like a bona fide robbery. Okay, I don't know if putting the literal murder weapon in a toolbox is a great idea. I've ne- I could never understand. He's already going to be leaving. Gray's already going to be leaving. Why not give him the fucking weight? Yeah, to- I... Throw it in the fucking river. You throw it in the Hudson, it'll never be seen again. No, there's literally mafia corpses everywhere there. God. Afterwards, the statement continued, the pair sat down in the living room and had three or four drinks together, sitting there... Almost in a daze. Until he noticed the sun was coming up. Ruth, noticing the same thing, hurried back down to the basement to grab some clothesline to tie her up with and make the scene look right. Gray also loosely gagged her with some gauze. Just before he left, she gave him ten different bottles of poisons and sleeping powders to get rid of for her. Oh, okay, interesting. District Attorney Newcomb wanted to pop champagne at this point. In less than 48 hours, this remarkable, almost well-before-its-time investigation, police from Queens, Manhattan, and Syracuse had apprehended both culprits and gotten sworn confessions from each. Of course, both stories tended to blame the other one. Uh, The only real difference was in Gray's story. They both hit Mrs. Snyder with the weight, whereas in Ruth's story, it was only Gray. It didn't really matter, though. Both confessions on their own were more than enough to send the guilty parties to the electric Mm. chair. I don't remember. In part one, did he have two hit wounds on his head or was it just one? Uh, he had uh, severe seven? bruising and abrasions all over, mm. but yeah, it was two. He it had two, two distinct okay. head wounds. So more than likely, they did both hit him. Yeah, or he hit him twice. That's the real question. That's and okay. why would they need to burn her her uh, robe? Otherwise, you know, unless she got a hit in with the with the pipe as well. True. True. Very true. Gray signed his statement at 4 a.m. Tuesday morning. As a reward, he was allowed a phone call, which, of course, he used to call his mama. (laughs) After the phone call, H. Judd Gray was formally charged with murder and placed under arrest. Mrs. Snyder, who had been snoozing on ADA Daly's couch just a few doors down, 
was awakened a few minutes after Gray was hauled away, and she, too, was formally charged with murder and placed under arrest. Not uh, not necessarily the way you want to be woken up. That's rough. <laughs> That's rough. Four hours later, the two were in separate holding cells awaiting their turn to appear before the judge for preliminary arraignment. Mrs. Snyder's attorney was waiting in the courtroom. Hired by Grandma Brown, Edgar Hazelton entered a not guilty plea for his client, which was a mere formality as guilty pleas were not accepted for first degree murder. So you you have to go in there for your arraignment, but you're not allowed to make a guilty plea regardless. That's right. Why even do it? Uh, to get your court date. Okay. To get your trial date. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's, that's Seems why. like a, a step we could work on here. Eh, I like that you have to fight it. I like that you well, have to fight Well, I know you have it. to fight it, but it's like, if you're not even allowed to make a guilty plea, why even just assume naturally it's a not guilty plea? That's true. Actually, mm. yeah. Why even f- <laughs> charge the paperwork or f- send in paperwork? <laughs> I don't know. Hazelton also stated for the record, My client, Miss Schneider has been held without food, no sleep, and barely an opportunity to rest for 48 hours on an alleged confession which she now repudiates on the grounds that it was made under duress and force. So now that she has gained legal counsel, mm. uh, uh, they're trying to say that was stupid. Yeah, someone who's not, not idiot. an idiot. <laughs> Gray's attorney, Theodore Groh, also entered a not guilty plea for his client. And both attorneys requested their clients not be questioned any further without the presence of their counsel. Even the prosecution agreed that that chicken had already come home to roost. Attorney Groh said this after the arraignment. They talk themselves into a bad fix. This is what comes of persons talking before they speak to liar. The first words you say when police talk to you are lawyer. Did they... Are we sure they did that in this case? Yes. Okay, we are sure we did, they did that in this They day, did right? not ask for counsel. <clears throat> yeah. They I, just started talking. So technically, if I follow the sequence of events right, if Gray didn't have his shit in the garbage can, most of this probably wouldn't have even happened. Exactly. Hmm. If Gray had burned the garbage <laughs> instead of leaving it in the fucking room... But he really thought that room thing was airtight. He thought they were never going to figure yeah. out the... I mean, let, let's be realistic here. It's 1927. That, they shouldn't have figured that out. That, and honestly, no offense to Andre Salesman, I don't know if you're the perfect person to be murdering yeah. someone. Yeah. I don't know if in you're... In a soap opera, sure. Yeah. But uh, not in real life. Yeah. yeah, just like your panties, it's going to be full of holes. That's right. <laughs> it's a real lacy plot you got here. <laughs> The grand jury returned a joint indictment for first-degree murder, alleging that the prisoners had feloniously, willfully, and with malice aforethought, murdered Albert Snyder against the peace and dignity of the state of New York. The presiding justice scheduled the trial for April 11th and ordered the couple held without bail until then. Mm. They were taken to Queens County Jail, where they would both be imprisoned for the duration of the trial. Symbolically, Gray was placed in the southeast corner overlooking a courtyard, and Ruth was placed in the northwest corner overlooking the street. They were as far away as they could possibly be while in the same building. Not going to let them have conjugal visits, huh? No conjugals. (laughs) Do you think they still like each other at this point? No. No. In fact, they, they really, every time he accidentally passes her in the hall... He starts being like, oh, there she is, the woman that got me in this fucking pickle, you know. You know what? To all the couples out there, 
a joint murder is almost a guaranteed death sentence for your relationship, so I would not recommend um, you guys partake in that. Don't do it. No. No, it's very, it's very unlike, even like, oh God, I don't know, you, you, Adam's covered some of the couple killers. In the end, they, they still never work it out. It never works. No. They, it never works. The people that get away the longest are the ones that completely, mm. like, manipulate and control mm-hmm. the other partner. Mm-hmm. But if, like, Ruth here, who has a fucking head of steam all of her own, uh, that's just not gonna, it's not gonna work that's out. That's why they always recommend... You know, couples have separate hobbies, okay? Yeah, Don't seriously. do it together. Yeah, Don't get some together. different interests, yeah. <laughs> it took Ruth three nights to adapt to her new reality. The first night, she screamed so loud and constantly that the other inmates complained. The second night, she babbled incoherently in her sleep nonstop. And the third, she slept like a rock. Huh, that's not normal. <laughs> On the outside, Grandma Brown was pumping out good publicity in the press. She opened Snyder's home to tours and allowed interviews to any reporter that would make the trip to Queens Village. Not only that, Lorraine became a very important piece of propaganda for her mother, saying obviously rehearsed things from Granny Brown like, No, I I didn't love my daddy. Not like I love Mama. He never read to me or helped me pray. Mama used to read to me. I like fairy tales like Cinderella and the ones with the three bears. <laughs> okay. I think we all like those. <laughs> One night in an overly saccharine bedside interview, Lorraine gave reporters this sickly sweet sentiment. Every night after I say now, I lay down to sleep, I say, please God, bring mama back home. I sure hope he does it real soon. Now, for context, she's laying in bed with all these reporters in the room with her little nightgown on, too, like getting all ready to be tucked in. Gross. I know. I mean, I know. Actually, no, that is gross. That's gross. The 1920s had more pedophiles per capita than, like, any other generation. Yes, it was all pedos. Yeah, Yeah, gross. Captain Crunchberry's oops all pedos. Lorraine was well-trained by Granny Brown, and the old lady was always at hand during interviews, filling in details for her granddaughter as needed. Lorraine even had some things to say about H. Judd Gray. Before all that happened, I liked Judd better than Daddy, and I don't care who knows it. He was much nicer to me and took me along when he went out with Mama. He always gave me ten cents and candy. He gave me pink underwear, too. Now I hate Judd Gray. When I see his picture in the paper, I stick my tongue out. Okay, this is gross. Why are you giving your mistress's daughter pink underwear? Gross. Sick. Jesus Christ. Is this like Jeffrey Epstein's great-great-grandfather? Fucking A. It's really strange. Oh, man. Weird. Gray spent his time before the trial smoking nonstop and playing checkers with the guards. Sometimes his mind wasn't in the game and his partners needed to remind him that it was his turn. Mm, he's probably got a lot on his <laughs> mind. <laughs> Preparations for the trial reached a fever pitch as March bled into April. Mrs. Snyder's defense team, now consisting of both attorney Hazelton and his law partner Wallace, said their defense was complete. Granny Brown had liquidated every asset she had to cover the bill. Mm. 
Gray's team, on the other hand, consisting of Hallinau and Grow, were in complete chaos. Mm. They weren't sure who they were representing, Gray or Gray's family. Each night, the Gray family would meet at the Gray compound for war counsel <laughs> and then bark orders at the attorneys, who at the same time were trying to build a defense with the actual person on trial, but getting reprimand for not following Mama Gray's orders to a T. They both backed out, claiming they had other, more pressing work. Yeah. And what that means is other, less fucking annoying work. <laughs> this is, uh, look, this is what you come to deal with the, with an Italian family. The fucking Greys and the Braithwaites. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a group eth- effort. Yeah. All right? It's a group effort for getting my son out of prison. Oh, God. On Wednesday, April 6th, it was reported that the Gray family had retained Edward Death House Riley, who had a great record in getting first-degree murder cases acquitted. Fuck yeah, I love this guy. <laughs> I love your fucking well, nickname. don't love him for too long, okay. because on Thursday, April 7th, the very next day, Death House left the case as quick as he'd come for the same reasons as Grow. The Gray family were more concerned with reputation upholding in general than this specific case where their precious baby boy might have to lose some face to save his life. Okay, not even Death House can handle the the fucking family. Death House says no no to Mama Gray. <laughs> he doesn't want to deal with any of that craziness. She's the real Death House in this scenario here. Holy shit. She's literally going to send her fucking son to the Death House. But she loves him so much. It's so gross. Well, sometimes you got to let a Oh, we're about do to the... get there as a matter oh, of fact. Oh, okay. That same day, William Millard the distinguished lawyer that had referred the Greys to their trusty family lawyer, Sam Miller, announced that he and Sam would be joining forces to see the Greys safely and quietly through this whole process. You know, just a quick thing here. How I, I think I've pinpointed the type of family this is. It's where the mom will call the local dentist and ask them to come over and look at a lump on their breast or something. He's a doctor. He knows what he's doing. Definitely. Shut up. You know, what I, you know that person. Definitely, like a like a weird enabler yeah. kind of thing. Well, like the plumber comes over and they start asking him about their roof or something like... Or the electricity. Yeah, like, what? you're a handyman. Yeah. You can just fix it, can't you? Get out of here, Gray. <laughs> Adding to the Gray chaos was an internal split in the family. His mother and sister wanted to invest heavily in Judd's defense as well as publicity to show how good of a guy he was. Gray's wife, who had their daughter Isabel to look after, saw things differently. She was nowhere to be seen defending her husband, despite her mother-in-law's pleas to at least give the appearance of loyalty. Mm. I don't blame his, I don't blame his no. wife at all. No, he was cheating on her. <sighs> Fuck him. Gray's mother wrote to him twice daily. Here's a bit of a creepy excerpt from one of her letters. My darling boy, I must talk to you a little before I go to bed. You seem oh so very far away. I never dreamed my precious boy could go so far away I couldn't touch him or that he'd ever be in trouble that his mother couldn't couldn't be near to hold his hand and comfort him. Your mother's arms are close about you and her loving kisses are on your lips. Ooh. <laughs> you imagine if Joe wrote you that no, fucking letter? <laughs> I would I would burn it faster than they should have burned the evidence in this fucking case. Oh my god. No. I no, I don't want to imagine my mother's lips. No, no. Stop it. I don't want your loving cheek, kisses. Look, cheek kisses from mothers Fine. Tolerate it. Yeah, yeah, don't stay away from the lips. Stay away from my, my money makers. <laughs> 
Mama Gray held a press conference on the 10th of April, one day before the start of the trial. She began by saying Judd must have been insane when he did it. He was obedient, kind, normal, and considerate. He had been brought up right and didn't have a violent temper. He had been very close to his father, and he only drank spirits with friends, and he never blacked out. Mother's love can't be shaken. I'm thinking about the boy I've known for 35 years. He must be brought back to himself. He's in a daze now. He's a different person. It wasn't my son who committed this terrible crime. Oh, so she's doing like the... Some other force possessed him. That's right. To do this, the murder. And we'll see this uh, more. As okay. a lot of people agree with this. Uh, I, I don't get it. It's just women. The, people the hate women so fucking much. <laughs> because the Queens County judge was recovering from an appendectomy, this case was transferred to the New York Supreme Court and tried before Justice Townsend Scudder. <laughs> I love that name, buddy. <laughs> Is he actually a real crab? <laughs> He's literally, he comes inside. You know what? Maybe that's why they designed the judge's benches like that, so you're supposed to come in sideways. Oh, and yeah. Just sit right clack, in clack, 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 clack. Just walk right in. <laughs> well, hey, maybe because a native of Long Island, Scudder could trace his lineage back to the captain of the Mayflower and had been privately educated by tutors all across Europe before graduating from Columbia School of Law in 1888. So he's a big dick crab. He comes from a seafaring family. (laughs) Captain of the Mayflower. That's one of the big ships. Mayflower Pinta Santa Maria. Uh, quite 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 an important one there. Yeah. Justice Scudder hated criminal trials and staunchly opposed the death penalty. Anytime a murder one case came across his docket, he would usually find another judge to trade with. In the Snyder Gray case, however, he had no way out. He could fake an, uh, he could fake appendicitis. It's pretty easy, I think. Mm. I mean, doctors will just go in there and take it. <laughs> take that little earthworm out of you. Get it out of there. <laughs> On Mrs. Snyder's team, Edgar Hazelton and Dana Wallace were exact opposites of each other. And in fact, they hated each other. But they were a perfect pairing. Two sides of the same coin. Hazelton was a brilliant legal mind, but he wasn't great at speaking in the courtroom. Dana Wallace was a shit legal mind, but a brilliant courtroom orator. While studying law at Yale, Wallace also took drama, so his forte was courtroom theatrics. At the time of the Snyder Gray trial, he was a confirmed alcoholic. Mm, like most <laughs> courtroom, like most actors, I should say. That. Yes, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. What if he just came in in like tights and he, he did his presentation like as uh, Hamilton or some shit? I that, don't know. Oh, that would be good. That would be awesome. You mean Hamlet? Maybe. Yeah, Hamlet yeah. and the tights and everything. Ooh, Fuck yeah. Holding the skull. Hell yeah. On Gray's side, young Sam Miller, family attorney for the Grays. This would be the brilliant little fella's first murder case, as he usually dealt with tax and real estate law. <laughs> He's good. <laughs> the quote-unquote-unquote-unquote junior counsel mm. would be the wizened old William Millard, who had bounced between public service and private practice for the last 30 years. Still in disarray, the Gray defense team asked for a week delay from Justice Scudder, who granted the trial be delayed to April 18th, the official reason reason being Scudder didn't want the opening of the trial to interfere with Holy Week. Yeah, I can't do that. That's God's week, man. Easter's coming. (laughs) The Justice faced his next mental obstacle in whether to try the pair jointly. Outside of the TV documentary series Law & Order, states don't usually want cases to go to trial because of the huge financial burden it puts on the taxpayer. 
Scudder had to decide if the cost of two separate high-profile cases outweighed the disadvantage to the defendants of a joint trial. Even when juries were instructed not to let evidence from one defendant affect their opinions on the other, there was always cross-contamination during cross-examination. Yeah, there's no way they're not going to be influenced by Mm -mm. that. I always hate when they're like, uh, jurors forget that. Like, they're not going to forget that. Strike that that. from the record. Jurors forget that. Come on, they're not going to forget that. We're Human not brains robots. Don't, yeah, yeah, they don't work that way. No. This would be especially true in the Gray Snyder case, even more so if their signed confessions were admitted into evidence. For Gray, a joint trial would be the best possible outcome. No Queens County jury had ever condemned a woman to die, and if they cut Ruth the benefit of the doubt, they would certainly extend the same to him. Also, Gray looked amazing in a joint trial, and Ruth looked really bad. Gotcha. Okay. This was her fault. She Mm. showed up to every court appearance wearing all-black morning attire, including a tight black velvet turban, black stockings, and black kid gloves. The turban had a rough effect on her square jaw, giving her a hardened look that earned her nicknames such as Granite Woman, (laughs) Ice Queen, Ruthless Ruth, and the Viking Vampire. Dude, I love those. Those All four are good. Yeah. Fuck yeah, those are awesome. Maybe she's just like a goth girl. Oh, well, (laughs) she was like trying to look like she was mourning her husband. Her husband's death. That Grey killed. Yeah, it doesn't uh, doesn't usually work out that way. Of course I wouldn't be so misogynist as to say her looks were all that made her look terrible compared to Grey. It was her attitude. She would flirt with reporters and photographers, joke with her guards, and yawn loudly. She struck poses even when there were no cameras around, hoping to lure Mm, some out. Real millennial. To her lawyers, she proved a difficult, stubborn, and ultimately unrealistic client. She refused to acknowledge the possibility of long-term imprisonment, not to mention that she was facing Mm. old Sparky. To more than one reporter, she commented that she expected to be free very soon. She wouldn't talk about anything less than full acquittal, blowing up at her lawyers when they suggested she undergo a psyche eval to find support for a diminished responsibility due to mental Mm. problems verdict. Mm. Well, I hate to break it to you, Ruth. Unless you are O.J. Simpson who almost sawed his wife's head off, you ain't getting out of full acquittal here. That's because you can't run a a four-second 40. (laughs) Yeah, what is your uh, record as a running back in college, Ruth? Let's pull that off. Maybe you'll be able to get out of this Do you have any Hertz rental sponsorships? Because otherwise... Is uh, Johnny Cochran available to take the case here? (laughs) Ruth was really getting the business in the media. Although there wasn't a shred of evidence to support it, it was said that Ruth was fucking dozens of salesmen, and she was labeled as an erotomaniac, which means a woman of insatiable sexual desires. I think they call that a nymphomaniac. Yeah, I was going to say, is that not, did that not exist? Maybe not, yeah. Mm. Speaking of women, Ruth's own gender completely betrayed her, calling her a man-eating homewrecker. Gray was let completely off the hook for his extramarital activities. He was looked at as helpless to the temptress's charm. Mm, yeah, this is uh, a lot of misogyny back fuck. then. Fuck. <laughs> a lot of it. Holy fuck. Five to eight editions of newspapers would be sold out daily during the Snyder Gray trial. Most of them were boilerplate stories written in advance, and then the extra editions would be those same boilerplate stories with little details added in. It was pretty crafty and shitty on the part of the papers. Mm. Honestly, this is a lot. I mean, it's not a lot, but it reminds me of listening to, if you try to find like a 
NFL news in the offseason. It's oh, literally the yeah. same thing over and over again with like slight variations to the exact same fucking story. I imagine this was her side of the story with like little twists slightly adjusted there. It was, they pre-wrote it before anything happened and then yeah. they would just fill it in as the day went on. It's kind of like sell more papers. It's kind of like when they print those shirts uh declaring the Super Bowl yep. winner. For both sides, and then the loser shirt gets sent to, like, a third world country. Which actually, like, is a huge detriment to them, somehow. I can't remember how. I read a study about how sending them all those shirts and stuff like that is actually a huge detriment. Well, I suppose because they're not buying, you know, clothing yeah. in their own country, maybe? Yeah, they're not supporting, like, their mm. local small businesses. Gotcha. Okay. God damn you, NFL. Quit it. Judd was seen in the press as the sinner redeemed, mm. and he played the role to great effect. He was always ultra-religious in public, as we know, but during this storyline, he went full-on devoted. He acted serious, modest, and attentive in public, not even gr- giving reporters the time of day. He didn't need to do any press, as Mrs. Snyder, in an effort to make herself look innocent, had done more than he ever could to sway the press to his side. Mm. Justice Scudders decided to try them together. Both Gray and Snyder used Easter Sunday to release small statements to the media. Gray was really thinking he was like a 1920s Hunter S. Thompson or Charles Bukowski. He was waxing philosophical, saying in his statement, I want to warn all men against bad liquor and evil women. If I had not taken to drink, I never would have met the woman who placed me in my current position. Bad liquor and evil women make a combination too strong for any man. This oh, honestly yeah. is like f- fucking, uh, what's his, Ted Bundy saying that about porn. Oh, yeah. I would have never read those yeah. erotic books. I would have never killed 38 women or that whatever the That was such fucking... a last-ditch attempt, wasn't it? <laughs> what a loser. It was like the day before his execution. Like, I, uh, it's a little late for that, buddy. Yeah, uh, I'm surprised he didn't, like, if it, was, if it wasn't for Mountain Dew, like, just try everything that you can. <laughs> porn, Mountain Dew. I could see Mountain Dew being dangerous. I don't trust it. Oh, yeah. As the starting date of the trial edged ever closer, there were some major overhauls needed to the county courtroom. An extra jury box was added to make sure featured artists, newspaper writers, and celebrities had great seats. Gotta have them. (laughs) The The courtroom could hold 250 spectators in comfort and 500 in the sardine-like conditions they were expecting. More than 2,000 people would cram themselves into the chamber on the first official day. Big Shot producer and director D.W. Griffith, Birth of a Nation, songwriter Irving Berlin, and writer James Kane, who would later write the novel Double Indemnity based on the Snyder Judd case, all attended the trial in the celebrity box. So D.W. Griffin made the film starring um, Matthew McConaughey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 No, isn't the Birth of the Nation like exceedingly racist? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. D.W. Griffith, by the way. Griffith. Okay. Yeah, Birth of Nation is the birth of the KKK. Is uh, the new one with McConaughey racist as well? I didn't see it. I didn't see it. Yeah. I, you know, McConaughey was going in that like 1800s, like, I don't know, what do you call What do you call in between like a countryman and a soldier? He was like kind of in that area. What do they call that? Antebellum. Okay. Uh, no, but uh, uh, yeah, I know because he made that other movie where he was a Confederate soldier And he makes friends with, like, a runaway slave or something. I didn't see that one either. Okay. All right. I don't know. It's just, like, he acts as a 
southern farmer with guns who shoots them. Well, I, I guess that was the Confederacy in a nutshell, right? That was the Confederacy, <laughs> yeah. You figured it out. <laughs> okay, continue on. The acoustics were so terrible that, with the approval of the court, a Long Island broadcasting company put two loudspeakers in the back of the room. The judge's stand, witness stand, and both the defense and prosecution were all mic'd. This would be the first time in New York history audio equipment would be used in court. Wow. Now, probably, probably better shit than us. Now you can't even, uh, you can't even uh, look at a court without seeing microphones on every table these days. Very true. Oh, wait. So you're saying the judge just had to like yell loud. Mm-hmm. Everybody had to yell loud. Or mm. if they didn't, uh, people just wouldn't be able to hear. So like Judge Scuttle had to like... Un- Justice Scuttle. Justice Scuttle had to like unhinge his mandible. Uh, and then uh, speak in the bubbly crab language. That's right. He turned into a bloodborne monster. <laughs> I don't know. I What do you call a crab's jaw? I figure it's a mandible of some uh, kind. Yeah, I guess it is. But really, don't they just have those like two little... They have like the two little hands and they like jam yeah. food in there. That Fuck sucks. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Fuck, I hate those things. <laughs> Jury selection took an entire week and hundreds of jurors were Ooh. interviewed and dismissed for various reasons. The final 12 were chosen, all men, of course, as was the law, and we are underway for the trial. Uh, sounds a lot like OJ's trial. <laughs> like, on, like, jokes aside, how long did it take them to pick jurors? And, Holy fuck. Ed, uh, so the prosecution was supposed to get 30 challenges, right? Mm. And then the defense, since there was two defendants, would each get 15 challenges for each legal team. Well, the judge gave both defense teams 30 challenges so this just kept going and going well, and going honestly though i feel like that makes more sense yeah they should get third mm. otherwise it's completely unfair because yeah. they're running separate cases yeah right okay the prosecution's opening address was short and jammed full of facts the main point da newcomb wanted to get across was insurance there were five policies taken out on albert snyder one of them worth double if he died of murder and al only knew about two of them the state would look to prove that the killing of Albert Snyder was the result of... Constant and repeated planning. ...on the part of the defendants. Mm. The first attempt had been scheduled on Monday, March 7th. That's the day Gray delivered the sash weight to Mrs. Snyder. But it was time for him to use it that night. He lost his nerve and couldn't do it, as mm. we spoke about earlier. Yep, they were crying. <laughs> the murder was rescheduled for March 19th. D.A. Newcomb described Gray's preparation and alibi in Syracuse, his silent, nervous train ride from Syracuse to Grand Central Station, coming into the Snyder home through the kitchen and waiting in Granny's room, getting shithoused on a bottle of homemade whiskey Ruth left for. Mm. Newcomb then turned to Ruth and explained how at the block party she refused to drink, claiming to feel off, and forced her drinks on Albert. Newcomb was careful here when talking about the actual murder, using big, broad strokes and not bringing up too many details. They snuck in, stunned Albert with the sash weight, tied his hands and feet, chloroformed him, and suffocated him with picture wire. Commenting on the state of the house when police arrived, The appearance of a robbery was so far-fetched and far-drawn that it didn't look like a robbery. Seriously. That's, uh... A fancy way of saying that the robbery looks staged. Yes. It looks like you guys just threw everything around. Yeah. Newcomb wrapped it up at a brisk 30 minutes, very convincingly outlining the state's case. The first five days were pretty dull as far as questioning went. It wasn't until the fifth day when Ruth took the stand, things really started to heat up. 
The audience had an actual riot when it was discovered a scalper had sold about 500 Fugazi court passes and actual pass holders couldn't get in. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Like fist fighting. That's they were a, beating the shit out of each other. That's a five head move right there. Oh yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. Counterfeit courtroom passes. Right away, as soon as Mrs. Snyder took the stand, her and her team took a big old left turn when asked about the night of the block party leading up to the murder. It started out just the same as her sworn statement. Yes, they went to the party. Yes, she gave her husband all her booze. And yes, indeed, she left the kitchen door open for Gray to get in. But absolutely not to kill her husband, but instead to tell him that the affair had to end. Oh, okay. Mrs. Snyder waited until her husband was asleep and walked into Grandma's Brown's room to see Gray. He'd been drinking. He always drank when he came over, and that's why Ruth left the bottle under the pillow. When Gray caressed her face, she felt he was wearing rubber gloves and said, My God, Judd, you're not going to do that, are you? I know you don't want me to. That's why you didn't put the sash weight under the pillow as I asked, but I am going through with it. <sighs> a little too romantic you of a murder <laughs> there, I, uh, you know. Don't worry, baby. I'm going to take care of it. Like, I don't think so. A lingerie salesman's not going to be that coy. No. Unanimous, unanimously, all 2,000 spectators in attendance groaned in disbelief, <laughs> causing Justice Scudder to break his gavel trying to restore order. <laughs> when the crowd settled back down, Ruth continued that she was able to coax Gray downstairs to the living room and almost got him out the door when he pulled Albert's revolver out of his waistband and said it was either Albert or he would kill Ruth and then himself. Oh. Mrs. Snyder was able to get Gray to hand over the pistol, which she then put on the piano. Mm. At that exact moment, Ruth's incredibly heavy flow broke the levees of her sanitary napkin, and she had to run upstairs to deal with the situation. While doing so, she heard Gray's footsteps coming up the stairs. She was sure he was just going to get his hat and coat from Granny's brown room and then leave. Then she heard a big meaty thud. So she's using the period as an excuse here. She said it started leaking from her pad. Mm. She had to go change it. You know, you can't let a man see your, your, your woman blood. Should we bring back calling them sanitary napkins? That's what they're called when you go down Walgreens aisle. Is it? Yeah. Sanitary? Yeah. The, the tampons and pads, I sanitary napkins? I think they call napkins. them sanitary napkins, yeah. Ah, interesting. Which just make it sounds bad. Are they dual purpose? For? Well, I mean, could they be used for period blood and also for backup if you run out of napkins in your home? Yes, absolutely. Okay. Ultra right. absorbent. <laughs> this, we should test that out. Like, take a... Bounty. A pad and verse it versus the lumberjack. See which one picks up kids' spills fast. Yes. I have a feeling the pad is going to win. Well, the lumberjack ones suck. Northern <laughs> northern ba paper towels. The bounty quicker picker-upper is the one you want. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a bad boy right there. That's the good boy. She rushed out of the bathroom towards the master bedroom and saw Gray repeatedly striking her husband in the head. The reason she had blood on her nightgown was because Gray pushed her away when she tried to pull him off her husband. Ruth then fainted, and when she woke up, Gray was standing over her smoking a cigarette and said, You're in this as deep as me. Gray explained how they were going to stage the scene and make it look like a robbery. He took Al's money from his wallet and Ruth's jewels to support the story, and said he'd call her in a few months once Al's insurance paid out. That's when it hit her. This was also he could get his hands on the insurance. Bastard. He was trying to extort her. Ah. 
Hazelton closed his questioning to Ruth by painting her as the perfect homemaker and mother, sewing clothes, canning fruits, teaching little Lorraine how to pray. Woman is just as God intended her to be, were it not for some men, and we will prove that Ruth Snyder is just as God intended her to be, were it not for her incompatible husband and the deceiver, Gray, who, taking advantage of the conditions that were there, snuck his way into her house. Mm. Okay, so... God, she, you know... Okay. She was just as God intended, sewing them clothes, canning them fruits, cooking, keeping up the house. But then this man and that deceiver, Gray, they they, they ruined her. They turned her bad. Why did God give her an incompatible husband? You know, they never question it. Up okay. It, it all stops with women and children, I think. Okay. It's always their fault. Uh, who is, so the deceiver Gray, right? Is yeah. he working, is he in leagues with Satan or like what's going on here? It's a pretty cool name. Hmm. The deceiver Gray. That's like <laughs> something you'd see in Dark Souls or something. Yeah. yeah. Gray's lawyer, of course, took the succubus defense route, mm. blinded by a manipulative dragon lady and drunk off his ass on whiskey, he would have done whatever Ruth told him to avoid bringing disgrace to his wife and daughter, and even more importantly to him, his mama. Mm, can't disappoint mama. Mm-mm. On the evening of closing arguments, the task for the jury wasn't exactly simple. There were four possible verdicts. The two extreme verdicts would have been the most straightforward, and they were acquittal and guilty. Apparently, bookmakers were giving five-to-one odds in favor (laughs) of conviction for Ruth. Her only saving grace would be the sympathy factor. If Gray managed to get a reduced verdict, the jury would be reluctant to condemn one defendant while sparing the other. Do you think anybody actually bet on that? Oh, yeah. I'm sure of it. Okay. I'm sure Pretty good odds, right? Yeah. Five to one for yeah. conviction? Well, I mean, that means if you're putting a dollar in, you get 20 cents if she's convicted. Oh, I was yeah. thinking the other way. Yeah, that would be good. So, that okay, not a great bet. Mm, a safe bet mm. if you want to, but then if you lose, that's, you know, you're losing more than you're staying to make on betting. True. It was like uh, the Floyd-Connor fight. Floyd Mayweather, Connor McGregor. I think you, you had to bet. Like a dollar to make 10 cents if he won. (laughs) Nobody wants that. It would all come down to whether or not Gray could squeak by on second degree murder, taking a life without premeditation, or even better, manslaughter, taking a life without intent to kill, but with reckless disregard. Mm. The fact that he was wasted wasn't a good enough defense, as voluntary drunkenness doesn't forgive you in the eyes of the law. There would have never been a murderer in the <laughs> early 1900s if that was the case. Uh, no, or any crime, to be <laughs> yeah. honest. Jesus. If, however, the jury were convinced that his drunkenness was forced upon him, he was looking at second-degree murder, which carried a 20-to-life sentence, but was always reduced to 14 years with good behavior. Okay. All right. Best-case scenario for him. 14 years, yep. Mm. Closing arguments took place on day 11, which was Monday, May 9th, and at 5.30, the jury broke for deliberation. A few minutes later, the 2,000-plus in attendance all at once headed for the exits. An old man who had passed out from the heat and standing (laughs) up straight was pushed upright and weekend at Bernie'd his way out with the crowd. Hell yeah. They said said once they started breaking up outside the doors, he just fell right back over again, passed out. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't want to miss out on a good time. No, sir. (laughs) 
Fun deliberation trivia here. In Queens County, the record for shortest deliberation for first-degree murder was three minutes and the longest, 51 hours. At 7 p.m., a bit after 90 minutes, the jury sent word that they had reached a verdict and the defendants were brought back into the courtroom. It sounds like the average time. About 90 minutes? Mm. About an hour and a half? Yeah, like... I imagine if there's a serial killer or something, probably take... Isn't, like, nowadays 90, like, the minimum? Because you Is have it? to sign all that paperwork. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. You know, I don't know about back then. They probably didn't have to do that. But I think now, like, most of your time is spent signing shit. Lame. Mm. Lame. I just never want to get jury duty. <laughs> I, I hope to be on hope, but I know I will at some point. What if uh, Justice Scudder was, like, your, your judge? That'd be kind of sweet. Would it? Yeah, he sounds fun. Well, I would get kicked out because I would say, I'm a Justice Scudder fan. And they would say, well, you're not impartial. (laughs) Once the paperwork was in order, Justice Scudder directed the defendants to rise. They stood, legal teams between them, as the jury foreman delivered the jury's verdict. Guilty of first-degree murder as charged against both defendants in the indictment. Scudder was ready to impose sentence post-haste. But the defense attorneys were able to buy another week for possible new discovery. Mm. The sentencing was set for Friday, May 13th. Dun, dun, dun. Voorhees day. Let's do it. I don't know. <laughs> While waiting for Scudders to emerge from chambers on that Friday, Ruth was in high spirits, putting on a real show, giggling loudly like a child and chattering excitedly with others in attendance. Hazelton lost his temper and through gritted teeth growled at his client. Stop that laughing. You are about to be sentenced to death. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right, Hazelton. Settle down a little. At 10 o'clock sharp, Scudder asked the defendants to approach the bench. As we talked about, the justice was severely anti-capital punishment and had done everything he could to foist this case off on another judge. He had no wish to lecture the condemned. He simply said what he was required to by law. The judgment of the court is that you, Ruth Snyder, for the murder in the first degree of Albert Snyder, whereof you have been convicted, are sentenced to the punishment of death. You will be moved within 10 days to Sing Sing Prison, where you shall be kept in solitary until the week of Monday, the 20th of June, 1927, and on some day during that week, the warden is commanded to execute and do execution on you. Ruth Snyder, in the mode and manner prescribed by the laws of New York. Do execution on you. Yeah, I don't know. I like that. I don't know. I guess they have to uh, word it in as many (laughs) ways as possible. I always wondered this. Uh, You know, like the post-trial judge speech? Yeah. Does he write that, or is yes. that like a copy pasta? No, that would be great okay. if it was a copy pasta. But yeah, that's like, they <laughs> always got to get their little jabs and barbs in. Okay. They got to give their little opinion. But this guy, he hates death penalty so much, mm. he doesn't want anything to do with it. I mean, uh, he's progressive in that manner. That is true. And I think that's because he was part of the, you know, literati. He was traveling all around Europe learning he, see, he was an educated man. He seen so, how many of his brethren were being uh, boiled alive in the uh, nearby seafood restaurant. He hated how red they turned <laughs> in that boiling water. My cousin, my cousin Clacker, turned red as a red as the sun. Mm-hmm. Scudder and Clacker, <laughs> they were about to start a two man comedy show. Yeah, they had their their uh, Beatles cover band ready to Perfect. go. Perfect. <laughs> I don't even know who his singer from the twenty is, but uh, 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 go for uh, the guy from Fallout. 
Oh, what's his fucking name? James Dean? No, that's a Bourne star, isn't it? Fallout, no. the game series, you dummy. Yeah, Fallout 3. You know that one song that's like, You could be in West tonight, the way West tonight. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, Cole Porter, that's his name. Cole Porter. Cole Porter. I always remember the uh, kick in the teeth one. Ain't that a kick in the head? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As Ruth's motorcade made its way from the county jail to Sing Sing, people hung from the roofs and leapt from streetcars to get a better look. From March 1927 to January 1928, the news coverage dwarfed nearly every other event, including Lindbergh's celebrated cross-Atlantic flight and the controversial execution of alleged Italian anarchists Sacco and Vanzetti. Yeah, we, uh, I guarantee we might have mentioned them on uh, the Molasses episode. We definitely did. That's why I remember them. That's Mm. why I remember them. One of them's first name's Luigi, right? The pair were checked into Sing Sing Death House as prisoners CC, which stood for Condemned Convict, mm. 79841, and 79842. Isn't that cute? That's very cute. They got like matching that. numbers. <laughs> Every day, the Daily News published a poll of those who were in favor of Snyder receiving the death penalty versus those who thought she should be granted clemency. The poll always broke down the votes according to men and women's opinion, and every day the numbers would change slightly based on whatever news had come out of the out of the trial that day. Not only was the poll published daily, but an entire page was devoted to the opinions of readers, also broken down by which side they stood on and whether or not they were a man or a woman. The number of days remaining until the execution was also included in the daily reports. The focus seemed to be primarily on Ruth rather than Judd. I mean, obviously, it's an oddity that a woman's going to be put to death. Yeah. And also, kind of like that. It's like a mixture between TRL and YouTube comments. Uh, TMZ. TM, no, TRL. Total Request Live? Yeah, where people vote for which side they want, and then oh. they have, like, the number one, number two. It's the same with the death penalty. <laughs> right? I was like, well, TRL? What does, uh, what's his name have to do? What was that fucker's name? Uh, Carson Daly. Carson Daly. Dude, I almost said Kirk Cameron. Dude, chubby Carson Daly is now on The Voice. No, he's yes, not. Yes, he is. Chubby Carson Daly. I, I know he had like a comedy show on the internet where he would Ooh. have comedians come on. And he was never even on it. Like, I don't even think he wrote for it. It was just his... Wait, wasn't Carson Daly a late night host at one point? No. I think he was. Like, it, it might... It, obviously, it didn't work out for him. Isn't he married to Jennifer Love Hewitt, too? No. I think he is. Or he was, or something like that. That's I, crazy. I think he is. Okay. Jennifer Love Hewitt, still beautiful. Oh, absolutely. 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 You look it up. I'm going to look it up. Oh, we just looked it up. You bet your ass they dated. 1997. Unbelievable. The, the title is literally the TLL, TRL host and the Can't Hardly Wait actress yeah. dated. <laughs> okay, so that is what she would be known for by then, is yeah. Can't Hardly Wait. Uh, I'll tell you what. Hmm. I mean, everybody gets manipulated by an older man at some point, I guess. You yeah. Know? Well, he was at the top of his game in 97. <sighs> he sure was. People were standing outside Times Square with signs that said, I need to play Bye Bye Bye. You know, Even though they were obviously going to play that anyway, why would you bring a sign? You bet your ass I went yeah. to the library and hit that uh, Limp Biscuit Nookie oh. on TRL. I think I was responsible because it got to number two one day. Nice. Hell you went yeah. to the library internet? And yeah. Nice. We didn't have internet at home. I had to go to the library. 
Librarian vote at TRL.com. I gotta get over there and hear. I gotta see that fucking Nookie video again. Hell yeah. We'll talk a little bit about Ruth on the day of her execution. Mm. Ruth spent the majority of the day restlessly pacing her 10-foot cell, wringing her hands, pressing her temples, and opening and shutting her mouth. Her eyes were wild, shining with the frantic light. Sounds like she's a little nervous. Occasionally, she would rush to the jail door and clutch the bars, striving impotently to shake them from their <laughs> sockets. This is all written from the Daily Mail, by the way. So that's or the Daily News, by the way. So that's where all these uh, little quotes are coming from. The only sockets she's pulling out is her own, for sure. <laughs> she refused breakfast, lunch, and dinner. After meeting with her lawyers about the unsuccessful attempts to appeal to the governor to save her life and learning that the insurance company had succeeded in nullifying the $97,000 life insurance policy on her husband that was supposed to go to her daughter, Ruth flung herself on her couch and sobbed aloud, her body twisting and twitching as she wept. Mm. It was all for nothing. Prudential Life Insurance told they her to want, go fuck themselves. Look, insurance companies usually win in the end, oh, so yeah. we're sorry, Ruth. Nobody's ever beaten an insurance company. That's why they're still around. <laughs> Ruth's appearance and behavior immediately prior to execution, all right? Hmm. The Daily News described the appearance of Ruth in the death chamber as a ghastly sight. I bet so. She wore a shapeless dark green gingham d- dress and a cheap brown smock. <laughs> <laughs> they were brutal. Did they have to write cheap? They brown? were brutal. Uh, she's going to die in prison. Like, what is she supposed to wear? A Chanel dress? I guess. She was escorted on either side by two matrons who supported her as she shakily made her way to the chair. I can't imagine. That's got to be fucking yeah, a little, terrifying. A little scary, yeah. You're walking to your death. This is from the uh, Daily News. In Ruth's white-knuckled hands was clasped a large yellow crucifix. She stared at it with eyes from which all human intelligence had fled. Her face was pallid, haggard, sickening under the straight blonde hair, which fell as straight as a whisk broom below her earlobes. She began to whimper when the guards approached her. The sound was like the frightened whine of a little puppy. The executioner watched from his position as Ruth was strapped into the chair. She began to murmur over and over, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Until the leather chin strap stopped forever her voice. Oh, Jesus, that is dark. The whimpering thing really got me. I don't know, that's... You see, like, the lip, the lip, the lip. Yeah, oh, God. I mean, I know they're a lot more cold-hearted back then, but God, I don't know. Brutal. Uh, brutal. It's brutal. Mm. Uh, the only reason I knew she was going to be executed was because when I was searching for pictures to make the post, that was like everywhere. We'll talk about that picture okay. in just a few minutes. All right. Here. Let's talk about Judd. Gray was cowed and wide-eyed and crouched against the foot of his bed on the morning of his execution. He feverishly thumbed the pages of his Bible, his lips moving as he tried to pronounce words in which he hunted for solace and courage. <laughs> Judd left instructions to his attorney that a series of letters be given to his daughter, Jane, who was nine years old at the time, every year on her birthday until she turned 21. That's kind of sweet. That is actually pretty nice, yeah. Like letters from daddy. (laughs) Dead daddy. (laughs) Judd and Ruth were placed in last-minute cells, and those are cells which are meant to be taken to wait in the moments before execution. As Judd left his last-minute cell... He said goodbye to the other nine men awaiting execution and shook each of their hands. The men called out to him, Goodbye, Jed. Good luck. 
Can you imagine? You're just like losing no. neighbors all the time as they go to the death house. Honestly, though, from what I read, uh, the the chambers at this time were filled with a lot of Italian men. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Scoot it a Uh-huh. what's the mario death sound oh mama mia (laughs) your timer runs out and then (laughs) (laughs) robert g elliott was the state executioner who threw the switch on ruth and judd and who also was the executioner at nicholas sacco and bartolomo vanzetti's execution just five months prior so he loves this shit he loves loves for it all right there were 24 witnesses in all Four doctors, 16 reporters, and a handful of state officials. The executioner stood in a room that allowed him to see the entire room, but was... Out of the range of the eyes of the prisoner sitting in the chair, so he doesn't even have to stare at him. Nope. Wow. The death chamber was 25 square feet with a 12-foot ceiling and clean white walls that reflected the brightness of six powerful lights. In front of five pews, the chair stood starkly prominent in the center of the room, about 10 feet from the rear wall. Here's a description from the chair taken from the Daily News as well. The death chair itself is a rather fascinatingly horrible contraption. It is sturdily built of squared golden oak with wide arms and slight sloping back. The arms and the back are equipped with wide black leather belts. The feet of a medium-sized person will touch the floor. The top electrode is held by a football headgear (laughs) through whose perforated peak run two insulated wires. These disappear into an iron pipe running down the back of the chair into the cement floor. This electrode fits down over the eyes and above the ears. The lower electrode, like the top one, is made of black rubber, and it is concave to fit snugly against the calf of the right leg. Inside of each electrode is a mass of fine wire mesh to which is attached a flat piece of sponge about three inches in diameter. Since salt water is an infallible conductor, they are moistened by the executioner before they are applied to the person. I remember the sponge is very important, right? You need, yeah. a, you need that conducting, and that saline water is, that, mm-hmm. that'll really carry a charge through it. <laughs> Ruth and Judd each received three full minutes worth of current. This is because at the time there was suspicion that the electric chair didn't result in death, but just stunned the victim, and that the autopsy was the real cause of death. Ah, interesting. (laughs) To combat this weird, like, anti-vaxxer belief, it became practice that three or four shocks were given with intervals between, but Sing Sing's warden laws had ordered that Snyder and Gray be executed using one shock because the practice of administering multiple shocks added gruesomeness to the scene in the death chamber. Yeah. Yeah, I'd imagine, like, if you're, like, re-shocking them, they're going to start on fire eventually. Well, that or I would imagine there's muscle contractions and stuff, yeah. right? Well, I mean, they're going to start smoking. They're going to mm. start, like, they'll go up eventually. You're going to accidentally make, uh, what's that guy's name? <laughs> Electro? Yeah, <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, it's, yeah, three minutes. They've been dead for three minutes and like 53 seconds <laughs> at that point. Or two minutes, 53 I seconds. I know. And they were just giving them the business. Mm. Judd Gray was ushered into the room at 11.08, two minutes after Ruth was pronounced dead and wheeled away. Judd wore a gray coat and pants and had a purple-bordered kerchief in his breast pocket. Like Ruth, he wore gray felt slippers. His socks were gray, and the right trouser leg was slit to the knee for that 
contraption. Ah, you know? otherwise he's dressed pretty nice. Yeah, he's looking good. He's looking sharp. The operation of fastening him to the chair was completed in just 30 seconds. Ooh. The current was turned on at 11.11. Make a wish. Again, the current was for three minutes. While Gray's hair broke into crackling smoke, his right sock caught fire and sparks flew and smoke eddied toward the knee. The face and neck had turned horribly red, then white, and his mouth was wide open. Gray was quickly unstrapped from the ghastly piece of prison furniture, lifted onto the four-wheeled conveyance, and removed from the room. This is just like when you you start burning, like, say you're cooking for somebody, you start burning the food, and you immediately, like, try to dispose of it so they don't see what you've just done. Oh, this right. This is kind of like... That's exactly what, what just they happened. did. This like, is a whoopsie. <laughs> we gotta get this horror show out of here. <laughs> like, I could see... Food Network starting up a new show about executions. <laughs> you got Guy Fieri actually charging a body too much. He's like, oh, whoa, 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 <laughs> they're big guy. You know who I saw the other day? Well, it was yesterday when I was watching a little Sopranos while I was eating dinner. Do you remember that one fat redheaded guy that had a ponytail? Oh, the uh, the uh, rapist guy. Oh, he was me too. That's why you don't see him anymore. Uh, huh? Bertelli. Mario Bertelli. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he was either a pedophile or a rapist. He One looks of the like two. a pedophile yeah. and a rapist. <laughs> and that's coming from somebody that right now looks like a pedophile and a rapist. <laughs> you are getting it fixed, though. I'm getting it fixed tomorrow. I'm getting an ex- uh, execution style haircut over Should be Hell about yeah. two hours after I post the podcast. I'll Hell be barbered yeah. up. Let's talk about this picture, this infamous mm. Ruth Snyder picture. I think you should post it on the IG, too, for sure, the episode. Sure, can one. do that. The photograph was first featured on the cover of the Daily News Late Hour Extra Edition. The caption read, Ruth Snyder's death pictured. This is perhaps the most remarkable exclusive picture in the history of criminology. It shows the actual scene in the Sing Sing death house as the lethal current surged through Ruth Snyder's body at 11.06. Her helmeted head is stiffened in death, her face masked and an electrode strapped to her bare right leg. The autopsy table on which her body removed is beside her. The original uncropped version of the picture was also included on page three. Its caption read, Just a second after the picture on page one was taken, Ruth, her body stiffened by the powerful current, is shown as she met death in the electric chair. On the extreme right is the Reverend John P. McCaffrey, present chaplain. The feet of a matron and a prison attendant shown in right center. Note the table on the right of the death chair on which Ruth's body was wheeled to the autopsy room after the execution. Wow, very, uh, very vivid of a picture there. That Not they to mention, out. yeah, they, they, they really fucking did some true crime shit here. Honestly, like, when I, when I looked at the picture last week, uh, she kind of, the way I would describe it, if I was writing a newspaper, she looked like a Clydesdale... That was a war horse for a a house of like BDSM. Uh, oh. you know, like she's just like the black straps are everywhere. You can barely even tell it's a human under yeah. there. Like she's she looks like exceedingly tied up in that fucking thing. From what I remember. Well, let's talk about how that was even how it was even taken, shall we? Oh, let's do it. You see, the photographer, his name was Tom Howard, okay? Okay. Howard was a photographer for the Chicago Tribune, but was lent out to the New York News, whose editors were already planning to get a picture of the execution. 
Howard was chosen because other New York photographers were too well known by Sing Sing officials and would not have been admitted to the execution. He was able to gain access by showing credentials stating he was a reporter. The camera was strapped to his ankle with a cable running under a trouser leg to a shutter release mechanism in his pocket. Damn. That's how they were able to get an up-close picture of this. That is some James Bond shit right there. Didn't they think it was weird when he was, he was like, t- yelling out poses for her while she was getting shot? <laughs> Smile, Ruth. <Yeah>. Smile. <laughs> give, me, <laughs> give me that naughty girl Give face. me blue steel. <laughs> now, there was outrage over this, okay? This picture was pretty gruesome. Yeah. But surprisingly, the outrage wasn't about the content, but uh, it focused mostly on the photographer's breach of trust. Like... Him going, sneaking a camera in there. Yeah. That's like pornography almost. It's he, almost like pornography. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty Candid fucked photos, up. Yeah. It's pretty fucked up. We'll talk a little bit about uh, Ruth's funeral. It was a sad, pitiful event. Uh, the hearse had to fucking haul through town on the way to the cemetery because they were being <laughs> they were being followed by taxis and other motorists that were just honking and screaming and flashing their titties the, probably the original uh princess diana here. yeah so she was buried at woodlawn cemetery her only family member that showed up was her brother none of her friends nothing like that and Very everybody sad. else was just haters and and people that liked uh, that followed just the case just wanted to see her dead mm-hmm. All that. I mean, that's unsurprising. I imagine she was quite infamous. Quite infamous. Yeah. I mean, she was. they were the most famous couple in the world for a while. At least in... I mean, eclipsing Charles Lindbergh's Atlantic flight, mm. which was a huge feat at that the was, time. Uh, that was pretty big. You know, people always like more infamous news than, like, happy news, such as yeah. a man flying... I, I, I read about his flight. What was it? 28 hours, mm-hmm. right? Or something like that. Ugh. Yeah, hell of a feat there. Gross. You, you Can want, you imagine? You want to hear something about flying? I found out my birthday, right? Uh, in International Wright Brothers Day. Wow. Right yeah. So Was that the day of the first flight? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I have. Uh, I didn't think it was the coolest holiday. No, that's right. Are you fucking kidding me? The fathers of aviation? I, I, yes, yes and no. I would say they, they were, but they're, I think there's a guy before them technically that should yeah, get Yeah, Leonardo da Vinci. Yeah, yeah. he made a no, goddamn not that far, helicopter. Not that far. Anyway, uh, yeah, so that's kind of cool. I can't remember what my other one is. But anyway, that's off the point. So, uh, yeah, Charles Lindbergh, badass. Ruth Schneider. Bad guy, though, too. They all Eventually, were. yeah. They all were. Fuck them. He was crazy and abusive. Uh, Ruth Schneider, do you feel... She deserved what no, she got. No. I think a life imprisonment would have done her just fine. Same with Judd. Uh, I feel bad for both of them. She was in an unwinnable situation, but there's always other options that don't include Moiter. And Gray is an idiot as far... Like, he he idolizes women. He, like, thinks them as god figures, I think. So, in a sense, he is a bit malleable. He's a bit stupid. Yeah. Yeah. You know what, um, from all the cases we covered on here, I, I think the state of New York viewed the electric chair a lot like Walzer did their um, detailing thing. They set, Remember, they spent all that money setting it up. It doesn't necessarily the right thing to do. It doesn't necessarily work good, but uh, goddamn, we're going to get our money out of oh, it. Oh, yeah. And I think the state of New York was like, look, we paid a lot for this fucking chair. 
we got to kill as many people as we possibly can. They were fast-tracking mm, people through there, too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, Jesus Christ. But, uh, but yeah, so it's unsurprising they got killed. Was she, I can't remember, she was one of the only women to meet the elect chair, right? That's correct. Yeah. And that's where, that's why research assistant Kelly uh, uh, remembered it. That and from the pop-up book of her childhood, which is terrifying, to say the least. <laughs> was it just pop open and there's her getting electrocuted and the, you pull push a button and then it's like... <laughs> that's, I should ask about that. I think See, it had something to do with the picture wire. They showed her somebody strangling Albert with the picture wire ah. in the pop-up book. It's still terrifying. But thank you, Kelly. The last eight pages here are all Kelly. A 100% yeah, Kelly. Kelly. She covered the execution so well that there was no reason for me to do anything. I've been wondering, is there a difference between pitcher wire and regular wire? Yeah. Yeah. Pitcher like wire is narrow, super narrow. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's pretty okay. malleable because, you know, they usually like put it not exactly taut on the yeah. back of the frame so it can it can sit on the nail right and kind of bend a little bit. Okay. All right. Picture wire, very deadly. Picture wire, you heard it here first. Can uh, I- yeah, that's so. If you like this episode, listen, ladies and gentlemen, why don't you do me a favor and write me a form request to the email address at bumblebuttpodcast.com. Go to bumblebuttpodcast.com, sign up at any level. Nope. Go to bumblebuttpodcast.com, fill out the form request. It'll come to us exactly like an email. We can read it out on the show. We oh, have yeah. one right now, as a matter of fact. Yeah, a, a question we needed answered. We did need an answer. Yes. We were We were talking about it. Now, I will consider this a win for me because it's basically everything <laughs> I said. <laughs> True. But here we go. This is Becky B. Subject, bra talk. Ready for bra talk? Let's do it. I did a little research on the true necessity of women wearing bras. General consensus on the studies was that bras aren't necessary. They're mostly worn because of societal standard. That women's boobs have to be lifted, round, and nipples concealed. Sagging isn't prevented by wearing bras, and the shape is only changed while actively wearing the bra. I personally have big boobs, and I don't need support while just walking around. However, if I were to exercise, I would definitely want a bra. It's interesting to see how these weird standards are held for women throughout the years. Now, Becky, I couldn't agree anymore. Okay, so should we take the Bumblebutt stance, uh, hashtag... Burn them. Bras off, tits out. Bras off, unless you're exercising because, you know, it's like... I bet those things just fucking bounce around. They got a mind of their own. For You could put it, uh, from your point of view, as a man with uh, abnormally large testicles. Sure. If you were just letting those things dangle around while yeah. you're running and not have like underwear or something holding them in place, it probably would hurt. It would be painful. Yeah. And the chafing would be severe. Yeah. So, so yeah, sometimes you need to- Compression your, underwear. Your, your loose appendages, you got to hold them in place. You have to. Um. So, okay. Ladies, uh, don't wear a bra if you don't want to then. Fuck them. Becky, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Becky. You're the man or woman. <laughs> uh, yep, do that. Uh, another thing you do, go to- G- Go to Instagram.com slash podcast and Twitter.com slash BumblebuttPod. Follow us on there. We, uh, we we will talk to you and all that stuff. Uh, great thing. Excellent thing to do would to be to bop that follow button on that Spotify there. Oh, yeah. That really pushes up. And also give us a five-star review on iTunes. I don't believe we have any written. Is that nope, true? No, we did get non-written. So thank you very much for I saw those, those doing yep. that. Thank you. Thank you for the non-written. Appreciate it. Anything helps, but we love those written. You know we do. Hell I'll yeah. troll the internet for the foreigners once again at some point. <laughs> 
what else do we have on? Is that it? Is that all That's I talk it. about? That's it, I think. Best thing, not the best thing, but just do it. Go to patreon.com slash slash bumblebutt podcast and sign up at any level. New Patreon episode coming out next week. I have it, or not next, yeah, next, we'll say. So after the next new episode, there'll be <laughs> there a <you> Patreon <laughs> episode. I have one in the hopper that's, uh, that's yeah. ready. So we'll just... We'll get nasty. We'll get nasty again, and you can join us any level. $1 up, you can have access to that. $15 and up gets you the Pokemon cards, which are fucking awesome. Yes. Patreon.com slash Podcast. All right, I think that's going to do it for all of us here over at Bumblebutt Podcast. Uh, my name's been Adam. It's been fantastic talking to you all. Uh, that's been Cody. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Adam. Delightful series. Oh, thank you. And everybody, as always, have a nice weekend, unless it's Tuesday. Zzz. <laughs>